Good morning, Hoffmantown Church. It is exciting to be with you again, even as we continue to meet virtually. I know God has a lot in store for us in his word this morning. Let's go ahead and just start out in prayer, and then we'll jump into what we're talking about today. Uh, Jesus, we are so thankful that we can gather here today as believers and that we can be together virtually even though we're not together in the same church. God, I pray that you would teach us today, that you'd lead us today, and that you would guide us today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, all right. Today I'm going to be talking to you about the four practices of a superstar. And I'm going to tell you what I'm uh, meaning by that title. We're going to be talking about a lot. It's going to be good. We're going to talk about exploding stars, movie stars, and shining stars, and so much more. But the reality is, is we are living in a very dark time, and that's no surprise to anyone. As the lockdowns continue, as we hear stories of the death toll mounting, as we have friends that are affected by it, that are sickened by it, maybe even friends that have died from it, as we continue to trust God with the trials and the troubles of being home and locked down, all these things can bear on us. These are dark times, and in the middle of these dark times, we as believers have hope that gives us peace. But beyond that, and in addition to the hope that we have, we stand in the middle of a society that is plagued with darkness as a shining, bright light that reflects Jesus in our world. We're going to be talking about Paul's encouragement to the Philippians, where he told them that their lives in Philippi were a bright and shining light to the community around them. But as we start, I want to encourage you. There are people that are thinking, I am hurting right now. I am anxious right now. I am sad right now. I want to begin, before we dive into the concept of shining brightly, with an encouragement about the peace that we have in Jesus. You know, Paul writes to these Philippians, and he tells them in chapter 4, not to be anxious about anything, but to, to give God their anxieties and their stresses in, in thankful prayer. And he says that as we go to God in prayer, we will experience a peace that surpasses understanding. And then he continues encouraging them to set their minds on things that are true and noble and lovely, the, the truth of his word. Friends, as we go through this hard time, I am absolutely confident that as we go to God in prayer and as we remain firm on his word, we will experience his peace and these dark times. And as we experience his peace and these dark times, I know that we also will shine his light into the world so that those around us can experience the hope and the joy that we have found in Jesus. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, shining his light brightly in the middle of a very dark time. Now, before I jump into today's text, it's going to be Philippians 2, so feel free to pull out your Bibles and turn there now. I want to tell you a story about a star that shined very brightly. The name of this star was SN1006, and that's because it was a supernova that exploded in 1006, so about a thousand years ago. 
And this star illuminated the sky. It was visible even in the daytime for weeks. At night, they said it was almost three times as bright as Venus, the morning star. It was about one-fourth the brightness of a full moon. It was inescapable. There's no way that you would not have seen this in the sky had you been living in 1006. This supernova, this starburst, shined very brightly in the middle of a dark sky. That's kind of the picture that, that I have when I think of our church, our community, shining brightly in our society. On the screen right now, you have a picture of the remnants of SN1006. They are still visible today. So this supernova has been shining brightly for over a thousand years. We can still see the remnants today. Imagine if we shined like that in our society so that the people around us today saw Jesus in and through us and that that testimony would help them find the hope that we have in Christ in the middle of this dark time. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's go ahead and read Philippians 2 together, starting in verse 12. It'll be on the screen. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world, by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. This is an incredible passage in Philippians. Uh, you see here a picture of the ruins of Philippi today. If you were to walk into the city, this is what you'd see today, the ruins of that city. They're more than just this picture. Uh, this area was first conquered by Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. You're looking at a picture of Philip and Alexander right now. I think this is the first actual official selfie of the family from that time. <laughs> but this is a picture of a fountain that shows the depictions of Philip of Macedon and his son Alexander. It was a wealthy place that was surrounded by gold mines, a very strategic area. It was in between what is today the capital of Albania and Istanbul, Turkey. So it was right smack in the middle along the, the Via Ignatia Tradeway. It was a very strategic location. It was first conquered by the Romans in the Third Macedonian War in about 168 BC. And from that time onward, it had a lot of Romans in its population. It became a Roman area. Uh, many years after that, in 42 BC, uh, Mark Antony and Octavius who later was Augustus. You'll hear about him later today. You're seeing a picture of Augustus right now. 
Later, Mark Antony and Octavius, they came and they conquered the forces of Brutus and Cassius in this place who had assassinated Caesar. And when they conquered their forces in this location, they colonized Philippi with even more Romans. So this became a thoroughly Roman area. And Luke actually says that in Acts 16 when he describes coming into Philippi. It's the only time that he ever applies this to a location. He calls it a Roman colony. So this is a very Roman place. Uh, Before you know it, we're going to be celebrating the 4th of July. Some of you might be singing, I'm proud to be an American. I can almost envision these Roman citizens of Philippi singing, I'm proud to be a Roman. That was the culture here. They were proud about their Roman citizenship, and everything that they were doing was to show everyone how Roman and, and how wonderful they were. Now, let me tell you what happens in Acts 16. Paul and Barnabas have just split, and Paul took Silas with him. And then shortly after Paul takes Silas, uh, he brings on with him Timothy. So Timothy joins them in Acts 16. We read about this in Lystra in southern Turkey. And after Timothy joins them, the next time he's mentioned is actually in Acts 17, 14 in Berea. So we know, even though there's no reference to him in Philippi in Acts 16, we know that he was there because he joined before and he was there shortly after in Berea. So we know that he was there. Also, when Paul writes the Philippians, starting in the very verse after the ones I just read to you, he says, I hope to send Timothy to you soon. And he says, you saw how he worked with me like a father works with his son. So the Philippians knew Timothy. I wanted to mention that because it's a side note that tells us the credibility of scripture here. We can see in Philippians uh, a story of Paul and Timothy that is accurately matched in Acts 16 and 17. We can see the, the reality of what's happening here. Well, let's pick back up in Acts 16. Luke, in verse 10, joins Paul and Silas and Timothy. He does that in uh, Troas. It's the first we passage that Luke uses in verse 10 of that chapter. The four of them continue on to Philippi, where they go outside the city gates to a little river where some of the Jews would have probably been worshiping at that time, and they go and they meet Lydia. They share the gospel with her. Here is a picture of the modern-day location where that would have happened, at this little river. It's been built up a lot, you can tell. They meet Lydia. They share the gospel with her. She puts her faith and trust in Jesus and comes to know him. Shortly after that, as they're in the city, you can see more ruins of Philippi here. This is the area of the Agora where there would have been shopping and business and things like this. As Paul and his companions are traveling through that area, they cast a demon out of a young lady. The owners get absolutely furious. There's a revolt. The authorities take Paul, put him in prison, beat him and Silas. It's a hard thing. But all throughout it, Paul remains firm. A church is born. And years later, he writes the book of Philippians that we have today to this precious little church in Philippi. Kostenberger, Andreas, and Kellum describe the book of Philippians this way. 
Paul's main purpose in Philippians is connected with the main theme of the letter, partnership in the gospel and walking worthy of the gospel. Paul called believers to stand together as one in a battle for faith in the gospel by resisting false teachings that compromise the message of the gospel, by courageous suffering of persecution for the sake of the gospel, and by being undaunted in the proclamation of the gospel. So these Philippians have been called by Paul to stand boldly in this place, shining brightly, to stand unified as one man for the faith of the gospel. And it's in that context that we read today's passage. So let me tell you the four practices of a superstar that we are going to discuss today. Number one is serve willingly. Number two is shine brightly. Number three is stand faithfully. And number four is sacrifice joyfully. We're going to unpack each of those, but the result of those practices is a light that shines brightly for Jesus in the middle of a dark place. So let's talk about serving willingly. And we're going to read a few verses again in Philippians 2. We're just going to do 12 through 14. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. All right, so serving willingly. Remember, uh, Paul had just given these Philippians a list of ways that a believer responds to Christ. He had said that we should live worthy of the gospel, that we should stand in unity for the faith of the gospel, that we should fearlessly endure persecution and suffering for him, that we need to fellowship with Jesus and other believers in a context of humility and authentic Christian love, putting others above ourselves. We've just been hearing the past few weeks from Rob Mann talking about authentically loving each other. That is the obedience that Paul is calling these Philippians to, because as a community that authentically loved each other, they would be able to reflect Christ to those around them. Then after that, right before today's passage, Paul gives the example of Jesus Christ, who being God had humbled himself and come to this earth to love each one of us sacrificially. He tells the Philippian believers how they ought to obey And then he gives Jesus's example of perfect, humble obedience as the one to follow. Remember in verse 5, he even challenges them to have that same attitude that they saw in Christ. Philippi, like I said a minute ago, was thoroughly Roman and it was full of one-upmanship. Joseph Hellerman talks about this in some of his books, but they were always trying to one-up each other. The whole society... There are inscriptions everywhere, like the ones you're looking at now, where everyone was fighting for recognition. They were trying to claw their way to the top and to demonstrate to everyone that they were better than everyone else. And this was at every single part of the Philippian society. Even the slaves were trying to one-up the other slaves. A great example of this is the Augustus plaque that you're looking at now. 
in this plaque, Augustus himself refers to himself as a god, the the divine Augustus, it says. So he's doing everything he can to prove to the Philippians that he is at the very top, that he's even divine. And Paul, to the Philippians, flips it. Jesus does the opposite. He is God, but he doesn't go around trying to hold that over us. He humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death. He became a man, even a servant, a slave. He went from God to the lowest level of the Roman spectrum. And he did it out of love for us. Now, Paul is encouraging the Philippians, we ought to obey in a similar way. We ought to serve willingly as we follow Christ looking at his example. When we love like that, like Rob has been encouraging us, we will shine brightly in our society in a time when people desperately need to see that kind of bright light. So we are called to serve willingly. We are also called to work out our salvation in this passage as part of that obedience. Now, we work out not for our salvation. Remember, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. So Paul is not telling the Philippians that their obedience will save them. But he is telling that, that, that since they've been saved, now their obedience will flow out of a life that is indwelt with the Spirit of God, that is lived by faith in the Son of God. And he says that we do this with fear and trembling. I want to tell you a little bit about fear and trembling. First of all, the fear of God is a good thing. Remember, Proverbs 9.10 says that it's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs 10.27 says that it even prolongs the life. The fear of God is a good thing. It's not being afraid of someone. There's a lot more of a connotation of reverence and awe, and we'll explain that. But Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5 that, um, that, that this was a, a... In 2 Corinthians 5, 11, he says, Since we know what the fear of the Lord is, we try to persuade men. In other words, the fear of God also inspires or motivates us in our obedience to God. Let me tell you a little bit about that, that fear concept here. Samuel Hoyt, in his book, The Judgment Seat of Christ, says, the fear isn't about judgment. Our sin has been dealt with at the cross. It's been taken care of at the cross. Now we stand forgiven before God. But the fear is a real fear of the real knowledge of the consequences of my sin. I don't want to sin because I know how bad it will hurt other people. And he said that fear also includes an aspect of a fear of lost reward. I don't want to sin because I know that it will lead to a loss of reward in eternity. Those are some of the elements of the fear part of fearing God. But there's also a reverence part. Remember, in 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says that Titus was delighted that the Corinthians had received him with fear and trembling. I'm sure that the Corinthians weren't scared of Titus, but they had a reverence and an awe for him because of who he was, and they received him reverentially. That was a picture of of this godly fear, this reverence or this awe. 
I want to tell you a story of some movie stars. I promised it at the beginning, and this might illustrate the point of fear and trembling for you. You're looking at a picture of a couple movie stars, and the question I want to ask is, would you notice these people if you saw them? Many of you are saying yes. It's Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. Many years ago, they were a couple. Well, one of my first jobs, I worked at a restaurant in the middle of a ski slope. And one day, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman came up to our, our little area, Grano Ranch Restaurant, and they were looking at burgers and chicken sandwiches and all that. And they went inside. I was on the outside grill. I turned to my buddy and I said, did you recognize them? And he said, no, who were they? I said, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. He said, there's no way that was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. I said, it was. About a minute later, our boss runs out and she's just panicking. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are here. Make sure everything is perfect. If they order anything, make sure you give them the best. Make sure it's the best. Make sure it's perfect. She was not afraid of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. But because of her high view of them, she wanted to make absolutely certain that they were served well and that we gave them the best that we had to give them. I believe that's what Paul is encouraging these Philippians with. Work out your salvation with a sense of reverence and awe for God. Live today knowing that you're living today for your Savior. Every conversation, every action should be done with him in mind. Remember Colossians 3.23 and that encouragement to work as unto the Lord. That is our calling, and that's what Paul is encouraging these Philippians with. But he's also telling them that it is God that works in and through us. Paul tells them that, that God is the one that is working in them to will and to work for him. He is inspiring both their desires and their actions. Paul, talking about himself in Galatians, says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So as we walk with Jesus, as we surrender to him, he will live his life through us by faith. He will change our desires and our actions, enabling us to serve him willingly. And that will be a bright, shining light for others to see. So we serve willingly. Number two, we shine brightly. Let's read Philippians 2.15 together. It says, So that you may be blameless and pure children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. So we've told you about that exploding star, Supernova 1006, and about the movie stars. And here I want to tell you about those shining stars. Those shining stars are the Philippians. And Paul is saying, look, you get to shine brightly in a dark society. And that, that hope is the same for us today. Imagine yourself uh, standing under a, a sky full of brilliant stars, maybe like the ones you're seeing in the picture here. Every one of those stars illuminating the night sky, full of wonder and beauty. That's the picture that Paul is painting for the Philippians, even though their situation was dark, even though they had been ostracized by their Roman uh, neighbors, even though they had been outcast, probably even persecuted. They could shine brightly in that situation for Jesus as they lived blameless and pure lives for him. Do you remember Jesus' encouragement in Matthew 5, 14 through 16? 
where he said, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is our calling today to shine brightly for Jesus in the midst of a very dark society. And that happens as we live Christ-like lives day to day in our unique areas. Again, I got to reference Rob Mann's uh, messages on love because they were so good. The reality is, is we need to listen, like he said. We need to overlook offenses, like he said. We need to value others, like he said. And we need to encourage people, like he said. Those things will lead to us shining brightly in this world. We also need to share with people the gospel, the same gospel that Paul had encouraged these Philippians to stand unified in and unified in proclaiming. That gospel is the good news that our world needs when it is inundated with so much bad news. I want to encourage you to share your testimony in this dark time, to share with others what Jesus has done in your life, and to do this holding firm to this word of God. Because as we hold firm to the word of God, we will shine brightly in this society. And that's the next thing that Paul goes on to say in this passage, is to stand faithfully. Let's read the first part of verse 16 here. He says, by holding firm to the word of life. He encourages them that they will shine brightly by holding firm to the word of life. There are different ways that this has been translated, and for good reason. The Greek isn't extremely clear here. Sometimes it's translated hold fast, hold on, hold tightly, Other times it's translated as hold forth or hold out. It doesn't matter that there's a little ambiguity here because the principle is the same either way. As we hold on to this word, we will inevitably be holding out this word. As we hold on to this firmly, as we live by this word, as we find our peace in this word, as we find our security in this word, As we remain in this word, our lives will be a bright, shining light for those around us. So we need to stand faithfully in this time. We need to hold firmly to the word, and we need to hold the word out as well. They go together. You cannot separate them. As we do that, we will be a light reflecting Jesus in our society. Let me tell you a little illustration. I told you how I worked at uh, Garano Ranch Restaurant in the middle of a ski slope. I used to snowboard a lot. Here's a picture of me snowboarding many years ago. I'd probably die if I tried to do that today. But I was an avid snowboarder. I remember one time in the backcountry, we snowboarded a lot in the backcountry, and I was very afraid of avalanches. And me and a friend, Scott, got into a very small slide, only time I've been in an avalanche. And it was not a big one. But I remembered as the snow began to slide, we were in an area with lots of trees, so thankfully it wasn't a big slide. I grabbed onto a tree, and I remember it pulling me away from the tree, but I stayed firm as I held on to that tree, and I was safe. Uh, Both Scott and I made it out fine. But that's the mental image that I get when I read what Paul is saying here. Hold on to God's word, no matter what is going on in your society. 
no matter how dark it gets, hold on to his word. When everything is sliding away all around you, hold on to his word. Stand faithfully on this foundation. And as you do it, others will see Jesus in you. Remember, we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, finally, the fourth thing here, the fourth way to shine brightly is to sacrifice joyfully. Let's finish our passage, and then I'll unpack it, and we'll close it out. So starting in the second half of verse 16 and going through 18, we read, Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Paul here is talking about sacrificing. Uh, not just the Philippians, but he himself also. He, he calls himself the drink offering here and, and on the sacrifice coming from their faith. You, you might remember from the Old Testament how the sacrifice and the drink offering went to get together. There were two parts of the sacrifice. There's sacrifice happening from Paul and from the Philippians here. Remember, Paul is writing this from prison. He begins in chapter 1 telling the Philippians that. He is excited that his imprisonment has even resulted in the gospel spreading. And he realized that that was worth it, that people would hear the gospel as a consequence of his sacrifice. But also the Philippians were suffering. They were sacrificing as well. And in the middle of all this sacrificing, to sacrifice joyfully, Paul says that, that he is glad and he encourages the Philippians to rejoice with him. I want to back up. Paul tells the Philippians in 130, he says, the same struggles you saw that I had. Remember in Acts 16 how he was imprisoned and beaten? I mentioned that at the beginning. Paul did not have to endure that. He was a Roman citizen. We actually see that when he gets out the next day, and the authorities are terrified that they treated a Roman citizen that way. I've often wondered, why didn't Paul pull the Roman citizen card a day earlier and say, stop beating me, I'm a Roman citizen? One commentator I've read said, he did that to give an example to the Philippians of joyfully sacrificing, willingly sacrificing. He wasn't going to call them to sacrifice, but not show them an example of his own sacrifice. So he tells them, the same struggle you saw I had. And he's continuing to demonstrate that example for them. Another point of credibility, Lydia McGrew mentions this. When Paul talks to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, he talks about how he was mistreated in Philippi which again we see in Acts. And remember, Thessalonica is where he visited right after he had been treated horribly in Philippi. Again, we see this credibility of scripture here. Right now, you're looking at a picture of what uh, archaeologists and scholars believe is the prison where Paul was imprisoned in Philippi. This is probably where that happened. So the Philippians had watched his example of trusting God in persecution. They knew that he was continuing to trust God with his current persecution and imprisonment, that he saw the, the vision in it, that he saw that God was bringing good out of it, and now he's encouraging them, you also sacrifice joyfully in this time. See, uh, this, this last picture I want to show you is a picture of a train where uh, I, I was very close to this area. It's about 150 miles away from Philippi, 
have never been to Philippi, but in this train. And I've, I've shared this story here before, but it's perfect here as far as dealing with corrupt border officials or corrupt officials of any kind like Paul had dealt with here. We came to the border between Bulgaria and Turkey and a border agent wanted a bribe and we wouldn't give him the bribe and he stopped the train and it was a, a horrible fiasco. It lasted about 45 minutes. I was really scared. I didn't know what to do. In the middle of this time, a bunch of the people in the car took up a collection. We were broke at the time. It was a funny story. Is before the, the, the current era where, where you could just take money out of an ATM. This is 1996. And uh, they made a collection for our family in the train and paid off the border patrol agent. And afterwards, we all said, how, how can we pay you back? And they said, don't worry about it. Uh, we work at a counterfeiting factory, and what we gave them was actually counterfeit money. It was a hilarious story of how God rescued us from a corrupt border patrol official real near this place. Corruption is still happening, just like it was then in Philippi, and God is still bringing good out of it today, just like he was then. And Paul is encouraging these believers, instead of getting hot and angry and upset at what's going on in our society, instead of getting mad about the inequities and the injustices, sacrifice joyfully and shine brightly. Remember the focus of the gospel. So as we, as we summarize it all, let me tell you, uh, a note from D.A. Carson talking about Philippians. He says, Christian fellowship then is self-sacrificing conformity to the gospel. There may be overtones of warmth and intimacy, but the heart of the matter is the shared vision of what is transcendent in importance, a vision that calls forth our commitment. Paul is encouraging them, whatever trials or adversities you're going through, sacrifice in the middle of them for the greater good of the cause of the gospel. That's what we're here for. Remember what he tells the Romans in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Friends, we are in a dark time in the middle of this time, let's not get distracted by political issues or what-ifs. Instead, let's remain focused like a laser beam on the cause that unites us as believers, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is our hour. We were made for this time. In Acts 17, Paul tells the Athenians that God has determined the times and the places that people live so that they will find Jesus so that they will find God. Today, we are alive at a very unique time in human history that is very dark, but this is not an accident. You are here now by God's strategic and sovereign plan to shine brightly for him. So how do we do that? First, I beg you, go to God with your anxieties and fears. Remember, like Paul tells the Philippians in chapter 4, Present, give those things to God in prayer. Share your burdens with God in prayer. And then focus your mind on the truth of his word. I promise as you do that, the anxiety and fear that you feel in the middle of these dark times will dissipate into the confidence and courage of Christ. Now, as we trust him with our fears and anxieties, we also ought to remember what we learned today and to shine his light brightly so that others around us who are dealing with these hard times will see him in us. We need to stand firm and shine brightly. 
Listen, if you don't know Jesus and you're feeling the anxiety and stress of our times, the Bible is clear that, that you and me are sinners and that our sin has separated us from a perfect God and that left like that, we would be separated from him for all of eternity in what the Bible calls hell. But we're told that Jesus, God himself, came and lived on this earth and died for our sins and rose again, conquering death, so that all who put their faith and trust in him would be saved. So today I invite you, if you don't know Jesus, put your faith and trust in him alone as Savior and Lord. You could even verbalize that faith in prayer saying, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me eternal life. Today I ask you to be my Savior and my Lord. Well, friends, this is our hour. This is our time. It's dark, but we get to shine brightly. I know that as a result of our following Jesus today, many will hear the gospel and come to know him. I'm going to remind you of the four practices of a superstar that we talked about today. Number one is serve willingly. Continue to follow Jesus as Lord, growing close to him and allowing him to live his life through you by faith. Number two, shine brightly. Continue to love each other in a way that shows him to the world and share the good news of the gospel that, that has saved you. Also, stand faithfully on his word. Stand strong on that foundation. You will not be rocked, even in the darkest of times. Finally, sacrifice joyfully. Instead of getting distracted by all the what-ifs and the political things, let's keep our mind focused on Jesus and the cause that we're alive for, his great commission. Thanks so much for watching. We'll talk to you again next time. Cool. <sighs> hey, thank you. My voice was...